The peace of Christ be with you. And also with you. Let's turn and greet one another. We welcome you to Laguna Presbyterian Church, especially those of you who are visiting with us today. It is great to have you here. On each one of the pews near the center aisle, you will find a friendship pad. It's a black folder, and we'd love to have you fill it out and let us know you're here with us today, whether you're regularly here or whether you're visiting with us. Also, you can see the announcements that are in the bulletin. This evening at 7 o'clock, those of us who went on a trip to Israel a couple of months ago are going to report about that trip in Tankersley Hall. We, uh, we will be having some Mediterranean refreshments and uh, would love to have you come and see our pictures and hear about our experience there. Uh, also, there is a blood drive coming up in a week or so, and you, if you sign up today, that would be appreciated. There's a great shortage of blood. Our book group is discussing A Gentleman in Moscow a week, in a week. Um, you might have time to read it fast if you haven't started it. Anyone who has read it is invited to join us to talk about it. You don't have to be a member of this group. It's open to everyone. You can see a couple of thank you notes in here, one from the Jensen family and also one from our Vacation Bible School folks. And also, next Sunday is part of our celebration of our, our 100th anniversary. We will be celebrating 100 years of baptisms. So if you were baptized here or someone you know was baptized here, it's a day to be sure to be here and to celebrate that together. Today, 60 of our youth and their leaders are headed for Forest Home so they, for a week of camp, and they would very much appreciate your prayers as they go. Let's turn our hearts to the Lord. As we come to worship you this day, grant us the stillness of seeing, O oh God. In the conflicting voices of our hearts, grant us a calmness of hearing. Today and throughout this week, let our seeing and hearing, our words and our actions, be rooted in a silent certainty of your presence. Let our passions for life and the longings for justice that stir within us be grounded in the experience of your stillness. Let our lives be rooted in the depths of your peace as we worship you this morning. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. The psalmist calls us to worship. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and foes, they shall stumble and fall. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will set me high on a rock. I believe that I shall see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Amen. Rejoice the Lord is
seated. Hosanna, Hosanna means Lord save me, Lord save us. And so we sing the song, it's what the Lord has done in me. Let the weak say I am strong. Let the weak say I am strong. Let the poor say I am rich. Let the blind say I can see. I can see. It's what the Lord has done in me. Let the weak. now our call to confession. Transgression speaks to the wicked deep in their hearts. There is no fear of God before their eyes, for they flatter themselves in their own eyes that their iniquity cannot be found out and hated. The words of their mouths are mischief and deceit. They have ceased to act wisely and do good. They plot mischief while on their beds. They are set on a way that is not good. They do not reject evil. Search, Search me, me, O God, God and, know and know my heart. heart. Test, Test me and know my thoughts. See if there is any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We, we confess, confess that it is still all too easy for us to sacrifice our convictions, convictions for convenience, your standards for status, your principles for promotion, your absolutes for our ambition, and our souls for shallow, unsatisfying success. How easily we are seduced by power, prestige, pleasure, or possessions, seduced into violating our integrity or harming our fellowship with you. From earth's 
fullest bliss, we turn to you again unfulfilled. Forgive us our half-hearted devotion and our double-minded spirit. In your mercy, O Lord, restore us. Let us now take a minute for personal silent confession. Amen. Hear the good news. God the Creator brings us new life, forgives and redeems us. Let us take hold of this forgiveness and live our lives in the spirit of Jesus. This is the good news. In the name of Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Thanks Thanks be to God. God. Amen. Amen. in the midst of a long story that we have been reading ever since the beginning of Acts 3. Um, the, uh, the apostles right after uh, Pentecost have begun preaching and healing in Jesus' name. And of course, the local Jewish authorities try again and again and again to get them to stop. They arrest them. They warn, warn them to stop it, for pity's sakes. But all of it is to no avail. As we come to the beginning of Acts 5, the apostles are still at it. They are preaching. They are healing. More and more people are being healed. More and more people are coming to faith in Christ. They are obeying God. They are not obeying human authority. And, of course, the Jewish leaders throw them into jail. And God sends an angel to set them free. Peter and John, as we open the passage today, are arrested yet again, and they are brought before the council of religious leaders. Despite appearances to the contrary, God is still in control. He's got it. It is futile for them to try to crush his work. Hear the word of God, beginning with Acts 5, verse 27. When they had brought the the apostles before them, they had them stand before the council. The high priest questioned them, saying, 
We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you are determined to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than human authority. The God of our ancestors raised up Jesus, whom you killed, by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior, so that, we might give so that he might give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, respected by all the people, stood up and ordered the men to be put outside for a short time. Then he said to them, fellow Israelites, consider carefully what you propose to do to these men. For some time ago, Thutius rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. But he was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and disappeared. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up at a time of the census and got people to follow him. He also perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. Because if this plan or this undertaking is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. In that case, you may, may even be found fighting against God. They were convinced by him. And when they had called in the apostles, they had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. As they left the council, the apostles rejoiced that they were considered worthy to suffer dishonor for the sake of the name. And every day in the temple and at home, they did not cease to teach and proclaim Jesus as the Messiah. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The apostles have been called to stand before the council. It is the highest Jewish authority in the land. It is made up of Pharisees and Sadducees, teachers of the law, and also important political figures. It is the same council that condemned Jesus not all that many days before. They condemned him as a false prophet, and maybe, maybe Peter and John are standing in the very spot that Jesus stood when this council condemned them. In the gospel stories, we've come to think of the Pharisees as the bad guys. They are the guys that gave Jesus such a very hard time. But it is surprising that it is a Pharisee in this story who saves the day, isn't it? Gamaliel was considered to be the most prestigious, most powerful Jerusalem aristocrat. He was the most influential leader of the Pharisees of his day. And he dared to challenge his colleagues on the council to open just a crack of possibility that maybe, just maybe, they don't have God quite as much in a box as they think they have. That maybe, just maybe, they were wrong when they condemned Jesus. What if, by silencing these guys, we might actually be fighting against God? Is Gamaliel being sarcastic? Some people think so. I don't think he is. I think the Spirit of God is bothering Gamaliel. I think he's listening to a voice that is saying, maybe what these people are saying when they claim that that Jesus that we killed was the Messiah, maybe they're right. Maybe we have done something so very wrong that we had no idea we were doing. While we thought we were serving God, Maybe we have done instead the exact opposite. Maybe, maybe we have killed the very one that God has sent 
that we have waited for for so long. Gamaliel is not going to make that mistake again. Fighting against God is the last thing that any of those guys want to do. They spent their lives trying to do God's work, not trying to fight against God. This year is the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. Um, we will be talking about that much more this fall. Dave and I traveled to Eastern Europe um, last fall trying to see some of the sites of the Reformation before this year's great crowd would arrive. I'm sure that it's crazy in Germany these days. It is 500 years since uh, Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to, that, to Christ Church's door in Wittenberg. And there is a book that Jerry has been talking about that I have begun to listen to on my uh, iPhone. It is The Protestants, The Faith That Made Up the Modern World by Alec Ryrie. You might want to read it. It is a tumultuous history. And part of what is amazing to me that I had forgotten is that for two centuries after that day, for 200 years, the Protestants and the Catholics and the Protestants among ourselves fought together against one another so much in Christ's name that we were killing one another, that we were killing one another by the thousands, calling one another heretics, calling people witches and burning them at the stake because they didn't exactly agree with us. Fighting in the name of Jesus and thinking that we were doing what God wanted. Our national history is kind of the same. Remember in the Civil War? Both sides read the same Bible. Both sides prayed to the same God, as Abraham Lincoln said in his second inaugural. Both sides thought that they were fighting for God, that they were doing God's purposes. Maybe not. Could it be that sometimes when we think we're serving God, when we think we're doing what God wants, that we're wrong? Now, there are times, of course, when all of us struggle with God, when we question God. I, I was very aware in some of the songs that we were singing this morning that some of you are in that place today because you have someone very close to you who is doing very poorly, and you are struggling with God about that. But this is a different kind of fighting against God. This is not, why is this happening, God? This is more thinking that I'm doing what God wants when maybe inadvertently I'm as wrong as that Jewish council was when they condemned Jesus. Is the voice in my head that tells me that I'm fighting for God, God's voice? Or am I listening to some other voice, maybe my mother? Maybe it's my own unrecognized prejudices. Maybe it's my fear or my control or my wanting to fit in with other people and to please them. Certainly I realize some of the things that I've fought for in the past, some of the church things that I have fought passionately for in the past, where I was absolutely convinced that I was right. Of course, really it was just what I preferred, but I was fighting as though it was God's cause and that I absolutely knew that that is what he wanted. Crazy little things. But could I have been fighting that holy battle, fighting really against God, rather than for him? There are things about which God seemingly is neutral, about which he could go either way. The paint in here. What color? Shall we paint the sanctuary? God probably doesn't care. Whether the opening hymn was on the organ or with the band, yeah, probably God doesn't care a whole lot about that one. How people fold the church tablecloths when they put them back in the kitchen, okay, God really could care about that one. I am pretty sure he does. There is a theological term for that, adiaphora. It means things about which God is probably neutral. Probably God, however, 
does really care about my motive when I fight for those things, about why it is it is so important to me to win in those things. Is it because I just want to be in charge? Is it because I'm afraid of something? Or because I feel like I'm losing control of something? For years, the church has said about things like that, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty, paint color, folding tablecloths. But in all things, charity. I think one of the voices that it's really hard to distinguish from God's voice is love of country, which we all have. Such a good thing. But history is filled with nations and with leaders who've confused national interests with God's interests. In some cases, they've ended up on the wrong side of history. It's the long view that makes us realize that maybe, unwittingly, we've been fighting against God rather than for him. I am listening. I've started listening to books instead of reading them because I drive a lot. I'm listening to Missioner's Story of Alaska. I have not listened to that for a long, long time or read it because we are going to Alaska in a couple of weeks. And I realize that as Russia sent government leaders into Alaska to settle that land and to claim it for Mother Russia, they also sent along Orthodox priests because the Orthodox faith was so intertwined with love for Mother Russia. It became sort of one thing altogether. And while some of the local people in Alaska did come to know Jesus, overall, a whole lot more was one for the czar than it was for the purposes of God. In fact, Mother Russia really won a lot more than the kingdom of God did, as many of the local people were abused and used for the purposes of the czar. Love of God and love of country is just so intertwined that it's hard to know whether it's God's voice or whether it's somebody else's that I am listening to. In political arguments, we argue so passionately. Facebook is just covered with all of our arguments as we baptize our very favorite issues as though they are God's issues. And that really might not be the voice that we are hearing. Probably some of the stuff that we fight about belongs in that category of adiaphora, the stuff that eh, God could go either way on it. Gamaliel's words whisper, uh, bring up the whispering possibility that maybe we could be fighting against God when we think that we're fighting for him. Do we have the humility to even consider the question, to even speak to one another about those issues with charity in all things? Or are we so sure that we are right? America has become a post-Christian society. The church is no longer at the very center of the American village with all of life circling around it. We have become, you might say, instead of the home team, more the away team. We are not in charge as we used to be. And Christians on both sides of the political spectrum, for very different reasons, are very concerned about what's going on in the life of our nation today. Many are discouraged about American culture and American politics and wonder if we could possibly be doing more harm than good in some of the things that we're doing in our country. Many people believe that we're in the midst of a profound moral and spiritual crisis and that Christians are at a pivotal point in their relationship to American culture. And they ask, what must the church do to live faithfully in a culture in which they used to be the majority and now we have become the minority. There are many proposals. 
uh, one of the ones that you perhaps have heard the most about. It is very much in the blogosphere and written up much in Christianity today, is an option called the Benedict Option. It is a book that is written by Rod Dreyer, who is a conservative commentator. Um, he has, he has uh, written this, and it has really found resonance with many people, including David Brooks, who's commented upon it in the New York Times. Dreyer advocates that Christians need to disengage from American politics and even from public life. He thinks that we should withdraw into Christian communities that, uh, that, will foster, uh, that will foster spirituality and civility and that will contain that and grow it within those Christian communities. He bases it on the model of Benedict, Benedict in the 5th century, who when Rome was falling left the civil, left Roman Empire and went out into the forest to pray and be alone and be with God as a hermit. And more and more men gathered around him, and soon a monastery was formed, and then more monasteries who lived by a rule of spiritual disciplines and prayer and deepening their life with God, and who really didn't pay attention to what was going on out there in the fall of the Roman Empire. And some people, some historians, credit those monasteries with being the place where Christian society and civility and Western classical learning uh, was maintained through the Dark Ages. That at the end of the Dark Ages, because of the monasteries, that those things were still around. Dreyer, in Dreyer's words, he says, the flood of moral and spiritual decay cannot be turned back. The best we can do is construct arcs, intentional Christian communities like Benedict, within which we can write it out and by God's grace make it across the dark sea of time to a future when we do find dry land again, and we can start rebuilding, reseeding, and renewal of the earth. Uh, some of those, they call them Ben-Op communities, some of them have become quite radical and have gone off into the wilderness and started just a little community. Some of them, however, are about really about families sort of doing this in place or about churches that have sort of done this kind of uh, intentional community and withdrawal in place. That kind of social detachment is something that has happened throughout the years with Christian communities whenever it appeared that public life was uncongenial to Christian life. And something about it feels very attractive, doesn't it? I mean, there's a lot of wisdom in unplugging from the TV and the radio from the uh, anxiety that just wants to hook you all the time and that stuff, and cultivating a deeper walk with God. All that part sounds pretty good. But the Benedict Option has thrown a lot of Christians into debate about whether that's what we're called to do. Is it right for us to have that sort of radical withdrawal? Some people say Dreyer is way too pessimistic, that things are not as horrible as he paints them to be. Imagine, they say, if these Christians that we're reading about today in the book of Acts, if they did that, what if they had said, it's hopeless to change the paganization of Roman society, so let's just withdraw into our own little hideout, wait for the end of the world. For most of the past 2,000 years, Christians have lived in societies in which they were not the majority in which they didn't, the society did not reflect their values or their purposes. So these critics say that instead of withdrawing, the church needs to discern instead how to leverage these times for the purposes of the kingdom of God. Many people have named little alternatives to the ben Benedict option. They have named them after all sorts of people, including characters in the Tolkien novels. I'm not even going to go there. There is one that I will talk about, and it is the Wilberforce option. It is the one that seems to get the most play in the, uh, in the print, and it is what is being said in the blogosphere. William Wilberforce was a Christian in 19th century England. He was the greatest political enemy of 19th century slave trade. And he is the one, more than any other person, who was responsible for its abolishment in England. Because Wilberforce saw the importance 
of acting with God's love to be part of healing the pain and the injustice that was in the world. Like the ministry of the early apostles included the ministry of healing and compassion in Jesus' name. Wilberforce saw that that was an obligation on his life too. So the primary difference between the Benedict option and the Wilberforce option is whether it's about your interior life or whether it's about exterior life. Sort of the, it's really the two great polarities of the Christian life, isn't it? And some of us are by nature just more inclined to one or the other. Some of you really would much rather do interior stuff by yourself and some of you would much rather just be out there amongst other people. The challenge is how do we integrate both of them into our lives? How do we come, become people who are so formed by God that we can be used for his purposes in the world to show his love and his compassion and his care to the people around us and to the society at large? Gamaliel didn't know how right he was, did he? Remember, he said, if this undertaking is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow it. When Christians find themselves on the losing side of political decisions, it shouldn't be a cause for despair because it doesn't preclude God from doing extraordinary things in spite of appearances to the contrary, just like in the book of Acts. We can trust the slow work of God. We can trust that he is about his purposes in the world and that they will happen and that there is a day when the kingdom of this world will become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. Thanks be to God. Let us stand and affirm our faith together, as you will find printed in your bulletin. Hear now Paul's prayer for the strengthening witness of the church from the book of Ephesians. I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through his spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, now to him, him who, who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let us be seated and bring to the Lord a morning offering. This morning we sing, Justice Will Roll Down. It comes from the book of the prophet Amos, chapter 5. It's God's voice to the church. We rarely sing in that direction. So when you hear this, it's God singing to the church in a prophetic way. I'll invite you to sing the chorus. If you, want to, if you know the song, feel free to join in the chorus at any time, and we'll sing the chorus as the doxology as well.
join in prayer when the waters saw you O God when the waters saw you they were afraid the very deep trembled your way was through the sea your path through the mighty waters yet your footprints were unseen you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron Sovereign Lord, your ways on planet Earth are beyond our comprehension and imagination. We consider the heavens and the earth and are in awe of your power. We seek to understand and to interpret history and are left with feeble worldviews that cannot do justice to the truth of your revelation. At times we refuse to listen to your word and spirit and are blind to the meaning and purpose of the events of our time. We confess that we see through a mirror dimly. We pray for the day in which we will see clearly the mysterious power of your love at work sustaining your creation order. This morning we thank you that you have raised up discerning men and women whose lives have been so transformed by your word and spirit that they are sensitive to the presence of your saving works and healing words. Save us from the pride that blinds. Place within our hearts the humility that lives with unanswered questions and therefore waits with patience for more to be revealed. 
Once again, give to your people wise leaders whose characters and proclamations give guidance for our actions. Save us from angry arrogance that assumes we have all the right answers for the church in our times. Forgive us when we claim that you are on our side when we are in the wrong. Allow us to listen to wise disciples among us who point to the way, the truth, and the life. We bring to you our offerings, asking that you will bless our gifts for the building up of your kingdom. We are daily reminded of the suffering of people in many places. For all that are ill and in hospitals this morning, bring healing and hope. For all whose spirits despair, bring peace. For all who need to be comforted, may the blessed Holy Spirit bring the comfort of heaven. For all who hunger and thirst for the living God, be present. For those denied justice and who are left out, bring inclusion, reconciliation, and love. We pray in the name of Jesus who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. be people who are able to discern the voice of God from all the other voices that speak to us. And may we trust the slow working of God for his purposes. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Thank you. 